Well, it is good to be here, and it's it's a very to me it's a very big honor to be able to be here today and stand right here. Uh, so y'all pray for me. Um, um, have you ever said? Have you ever said in your life? And I know before you had kids, you probably said this. You probably won't admit it, but I want you to. You can raise your hand if you want to. It's up to you. Have you ever said, my kid won't ever do that? <laughs> or have you ever said, maybe this one, if that was my kid, I would, you can finish it. I think if you would admit it, we've all said that before. If we didn't say it out loud, we said it right here, you know, until we had them, right? When we had kids, then we, we figured out that we can't say those kind of things because kids have a way of, it has a way of coming back on you, you know. Um, a few months ago, we were in a youth service, and John was preaching on salvation not being genetic. And I was sitting there thinking as he was talking about that, how I watched these young parents, and they were trying to get their kids to eat and stuff, and I thought, you know, parents make their children eat their food, but children make their parents eat their words, <laughs> And that's so true today. You know, we, we really do that. Growing up, um, no kid in the world probably got more whippings and more hugs than Blake Snyder. I mean, he can probably sit over here and nod if I tell you that. Um, and he did. And I think some of the most aggravating things that, that he would do as a youngster uh, to me was when, he, when I knew he could hear me, yet he wouldn't, he wouldn't heed what I was telling him. Uh, you know, sometimes kids make mistakes, but when you know they can hear you and they still won't do what you're asking them to do, that's kind of infuriating. And, and I think sometimes God's the same way with us. So I want to talk to you today. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And I want to talk to you about uh, the subject of hearing without heeding. Um, I think that probably God is like us. That's probably the, probably the most infuriating thing to him is when his children do not pay attention to what he says. You know, we, we as Christians, we have God's word. We have God's word supposedly in our hearts. We, we have it to read. We even read it sometimes, but we don't heed it sometimes. And I think that's a, that's a big problem. I think it's our Christian defiance, so to speak. You know, when your child is, when they're doing something, I think... Bless your heart, Blake, I'm going to pick on you a little bit, but I probably the maddest I ever got at him was when I was already talking through my teeth and trying to get him to do something, and, and I told him to go do something, and I was mad at him already, and, and he just started walking that direction. I said, and speed up, you know, I was mad, <laughs> and uh, he didn't change gears, and I knew he could hear me. I knew he could hear what I was saying, but he didn't change his behavior. And I think that infuriated me more than anything else. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. God is sitting there, and he's looking at us, and he says, I want you to do this, and I mean now. And yet we don't change gear. We don't do something different. We don't obey. We just hear, but we don't obey. And I think that's what probably bothers God more than anything. So let's look at James chapter 1, um, verses 22 through 25, and I'll read it. If you want to stand, um, I, I thought I'd forget that, but... If you, if you can, stand with us and we'll honor the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 22. says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For, any, for if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And I thought about this, and when I read the scripture, and Cody gave us, I'm sorry, you can be seated. <laughs> this is a first for me, so you, if I mess it up, you just go on and do what you normally do, okay? Uh, when I thought about this scripture, when I thought about hearing without heeding, the first thing I thought of was the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, this is, this is the epitome of who they were. So I want to look at three things here. Being a hearer of the word and not a doer makes us three things. Number one, it makes us pharisaical. I probably just made that word up, but we, Cody says that all the time, so I guess I can do it. It makes us fantastical, and it makes us forgetful. And I'm going to talk about what those things are in a minute. And I know I embellished the, the alliteration for a little bit, but... It makes us pharisaical, it makes us fantastical, and it makes us forgetful. So I want you to remember those three things. Number one, um, being a hearer and not a doer makes us pharisaical. When you look at um, the Pharisees, and Cody did a great job a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting there while he was preaching Matthew chapter 23 thinking, man, he's ruining my message. <laughs> he's preaching mine. Uh, but he did a great job talking about this. And he talked about the Pharisees being hypocrites and all that, you know. Knowing God's Word and not doing it is a whole lot worse than not knowing it. See, I think that's sometimes why people don't read it. Because they don't want to know what it says. Because then I might have to do it. And so, let's talk about that, what that means. Look at verse 21. We're going to back up one verse. Look at what verse 21 says. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I want to call your attention to one specific thing there. The word implanted. The implanted Word. What does that mean? God's Word should be placed in our hearts. If we're a Christian, it's supposed to be in here. Yet, like the Pharisees, though, sometimes we wear it around our neck. You know, the Pharisees, and Cody talked about this the other day, too, they wore these things called phylacteries around their neck. And it was, a, it was like a necklace with a box or a little leather pouch on the front here that would hold scriptures and stuff, like memory verses or whatever. I don't know exactly how it looked or whatever, and I tried to look it up, but it's kind of like I think about we wear our Christian crosses today or our Christian T-shirts. You know, one time I was, I, I don't know if it was radio or what, but I heard this rapper on TV, and he was just spewing venom. He was talking, he was saying cuss words. It was, in, it was, I don't even know who it was. And I heard it, and some, I asked some kid, I said, who was that? And they told me the rapper's name. I can't remember it anymore. And I thought, well, that's terrible. And so a few weeks later, I, I heard heard on TV that this guy was giving an interview and I'm just flipping channels and so I stopped to see who this guy was what he looked like and he comes in I don't know if it was Jimmy Fallon or who he was talking to he comes in and the first thing I noticed was a cross hanging around his neck about this big big diamond studded cross all this bling on him and everything. I thought he's wearing a cross this tall around his neck and every word that comes out of his mouth when he's singing spews venom are you kidding me and sometimes I think that's the way the, the people in Jesus' day looked at the Pharisees. They knew the word better than anybody, but they didn't heed it. They didn't listen to what it said. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 23, seven different times Jesus calls them hypocrites. Cody pointed this out the other day. Three times he calls them blind guides. You know, and I, something 
Cody and I were talking after his message, and he said, you know, Jesus had a worse, he had a worse commentary for those guys, for hypocrites, than he did for harlots. For anybody else, hypocrites was the worst thing that Jesus said about anybody. I thought, mm, that's pretty good. Three times he calls them blind guides. Well, think about having a guide that's blind. <laughs> That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? I tell the kids all the time when I'm passing out a test at school, I always, I always tell them, okay, keep your eyes on your own paper because if the blind lead the blind, will you not both fall in the ditch? You know, they, they don't even get it. You know? <laughs> uh, but I tell them that all the time, trying to help them maybe not cheat. You know, A blind guy, think about that. One time out of those things, he, out of that same scripture, Matthew 23, he calls them snakes. You bunch of vipers. Seven times. Why seven times did he call them hypocrites? Because seven is the number in the Bible of completeness. When I asked Jesus, how much should I forgive my neighbor? He said, seven times? Jesus said, 70 times seven. You know, seven days in a week. There's just so many references to seven being the number of completeness in the Bible. Seven years of tribulation. Seven vials of wrath poured out in Revelation. God's total wrath. Seven is the number of completeness. So Jesus says, seven times you're hypocrites. Three times you're blind gods, one time you're snakes. Another reason, look at, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 7, Jesus said this, listen to what they tell you, but don't do what they do. Boy, he says, listen to what they say, because they know the word, but don't do what they do. It's kind of those old things like, do as I say, but not as I do, right? See, they could read, but they didn't receive. They could hear, but they didn't heed. They could preach, but they wouldn't practice. Pastor Dean Olive from Grace Baptist Church in Madison, Alabama, uh, wrote a little poem that says this. It's easier to preach than to practice. It's easier to say than to do. Most sermons are heard by the many, but are taken to heart by the few. And that's so true uh, for us. Uh, so, hearing God's word and not doing God's word, hearing without heeding, makes us pharisaical. Number two, hearing God's word and not heeding not only makes us pharisaical, it makes us fantastical. Now what I mean by that is we live in a fantasy land. Notice what it says in verse 22. The key word here, look at verse 22. Uh, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. Have you ever thought about deceiving yourselves? Great commentator Matthew Henry said this, mere, hearing, uh, mere hearers are self-deceivers, and self-deceit will be found out the worst kind of deceit of all. And I thought about that. Why is, why is self-deceit the worst kind of deceit? Because it makes us believe our own lies. Now think about it. Believing an, another lie is one thing, but believing your own lies is, is terrible. You know, for 28 years I coached football and baseball and basketball, and mainly football and baseball, but I, I was a pitcher's coach for 28 years. And one of the things we would do as a, as a, when I'm coaching pitchers is we would learn to throw a waste pitch. Well, I had to, quit, I had to change the name of it from a waste pitch because kids got the wrong mentality about wasting it. It wasn't a waste pitch. It was a very important pitch. But what I mean by a waste pitch is this. If, if, you have, if you're ahead in the count, you might get a hitter to swing at a bad pitch. All you want to do is get him out. That's your goal is to get him out. You don't care if he strikes out or he pops it up or hits a weak ground ball somewhere. We want to get him out. 
So if you get ahead in the count, you might get a pretty good hitter to chase a pitch off the plate a little bit. So if this were the plate right here, I might get a, might try to throw it three or four or five inches off the corner and see if he would reach for it, hit it off the end of the bat and roll it back to the pitcher or whatever. We called it a waste pitch. Well, I had to change the name of it because here's what my pitcher's got in their head. Oh, I'm ahead in the count now. I just made two great pitches. My control is really good, and I'm thinking, okay, we'll see if we can get the hitter to chase. So I call a pitch off the plate. Well, kid, throw one over here two feet off the plate. When the catcher had to dive to catch almost. And I'm like, I'm like so I know your control's not wild. So what happens, I, I understood that his mentality was, let's just waste one. No, so I had, to, I had to start coaching them to this. You were throwing a lie. Three or four inches off the plate is a lie. And a lie is no good if it's not believable. Now think about Satan's lie to Eve. If his lie hadn't have been believable, she never would have picked the fruit. And he told her, you're not going to really die. It's not a poison apple. I know it wasn't an apple, but we always think it is, right? It's not a poison apple. You're not going to really die. God knows your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like him to know good and evil. And that was the truth. That part was the truth. And so he made her believe the lie because the lie was believable. And like the waste pitch, it has to be a believable pitch. It has to be something off the corner, not two feet outside. See, that's the thing about our self-deception. When you start believing it yourself, well, we're, we're in for it when we start believing it ourselves. Self-deception does that to us. It's the worst kind of deception because we believe it ourselves. Uh, Self-deception makes us feel good about our own righteousness. And did you know that self is our biggest enemy? I, right at the end of school, right when Cody told us we were going to do this, I started, I had some time at school, so I started working on this then. And before, even before then, God showed me this. I was doing vocabulary. I teach English, and so I was doing vocabulary with my seniors and and I just happened to think, what are some new words today? What are some new words today? So I looked up some new words, and I found this. The Oxford English Dictionary in 2018, uh, January of 2018, put out a list of 255 new words. So I, and they were in alphabetical order. So I started looking down the list at them. Well, the first, there was about seven words that began with A, and about five or six that began with B, and on down the list. When you got to E, there was like 25, and I thought, wonder, oh, E, E, like the electronic age. A lot of E-learning, and E this, and E that, and all that, electronic stuff. Then it went back to five or six per each, you know, letter of the alphabet about it. Till you get down to S, there was like 150 words that began with S. And out of those 255, over 100 of them, began with the prefix self. Out of 255 new words, over 100 began with the prefix self. We live in a day and age where we know about self, don't we? We are selfies and we're everything. We, and that's what deceiving ourselves is. That's what's, that's what's so bad about it. We deceive ourselves. We're a selfish generation, all of us. We can't just blame millennials. We raised them, Okay. So if you're sitting there like me and you want to say these kids are selfish today, well, we raised them, okay? So we've got to own it ourselves, okay? We deceive ourselves by thinking that we can decide our own gender today. We deceive ourselves by thinking we can decide what's right and wrong. See, those are choices that God has for us, not choices for me. You can't decide where you're born. God did that for you. 
I thank God every day I was born where I am. I could have been born to a mother in some foreign country who couldn't take care of me and my twin brother. And so she had to decide which one lives and which one dies. That happens. So we, I thank God that I was born where I am to who I was and all that stuff. Thank you, Lord, that you did that for me. So we need to, uh, we need to, we can't decide those kind of things. Self-deception means we're deciding those things ourselves. You know, when we start deciding things that are reserved for God, we start becoming our own God. Now, I used to think that idolatry was uh, limited to golden calves and stuff like that. But we have as much idolatry today as ever. Even probably more. See, your idol may be your own face when you look in the mirror. Your idol may be your children that you hug every day. Your idol are all those things that you put in front of God. And self-deception, we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, I'm supposed to love my kids. We are. But do we love them more than we love God? Do we love them more than we're supposed to? And I think we do that sometimes. The last thing, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor drunkards, nor adulterers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wake up from your drunken stupor and do not go on sinning. Basically, in other words, what he's saying in that scripture is quit living in fantasy land. Quit living in fantasy land. When you deceive yourself, you live in fantasy land. Uh, last thing. Not only does hearing without doing make us pharisaical, make us for, uh, fantastical, I guess. It also makes us forgetful. Look at our focal passage, verses 23 and 24. It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I want you to think about that one for a minute keep taking these glasses off because I can't see with them on and I can't see with them off. My granddad used to say, I hate to, hate to get off this subject, but he used to say, <laughs> he used to say if he had anything against someone and he could get revenge on them and the, uh, the judge let him pass sentence on them, he would make them wear false teeth and glasses for the rest of their life. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about the glasses too. Um, anyway, I don't mean to get off on that one, but... Um, being a hearer and not a doer makes us forgetful of who we are supposed to be. Think about that. Who we're supposed to be. Notice he says, see, this right here is our recipe for life. It's, 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 our, it's our outline. Like I got a big outline. I got two outlines actually up here. One of them because I was afraid I can't see because I'm like my papa, you know. It is our outline for how we should live our life. And yet, we forget it. We don't do it sometimes. Now, it's our outline that keeps us on track. Uh, he says he's like a man that looks in a mirror at his natural face. Well, your natural face is what, is what your habit is. You should look at your face probably more than anyone else. You should know what it looks like better than anybody, right? Yeah, sometimes, have you ever caught yourself doing that? You kind of got to think, what did I look like this morning? I can't remember. And we look at ourselves in a, in a picture and we think, ooh, I really look like that. <laughs> you know, how many times you do that? 
But you know, we care more about what we look like, don't we? Back when we used to have pictures and we used to go through pictures, uh, you know, instead of on their phone now, we used to flip through them like Christmas pictures. Robin said, here's our Christmas pictures. She'd hand them to me and I'd go through them like this, about that fast, until I got to one with me in it. Then I'd stop. You think we're not selfish? We are really selfish. I'll tell you, we are. Now, what I'm saying is, um, uh, our natural face is who we should be all the time. And as a Christian, we should naturally have the habit of doing what's right. But we don't always do that. Uh, at school, we have what's called breakfast duty. And three or four teachers have to go keep the lunchroom about three times out of the year. And I am notorious for missing breakfast duty on my week. I'll be, it'll be Wednesday before I realize, hey, I missed it Monday and Tuesday already, you know. And so, and it's not because I hate breakfast duty or it's not because I have to be at school early or anything like that. You know why I miss breakfast duty? Because it's not part of my daily habit. See, I, I daily get to school on time. But I miss breakfast duty because I'm out of habit. And I have to be reminded. See, our habit, our habits should be good habits. I heard someone say one time, habits are hard to break, so learn good ones. And that's so much so true. And so our habit as a natural person, as a natural Christian, we should, our habits should be good. Another thing, mirrors reflect our faults. Now think about it. It shows us exactly who we are, doesn't it? Whether we like it or not. The older I get, the more I don't like it. I think I have something wrong with the left side. I, I, like I grow wild hairs out of this eyebrow, this ear, and this nostril worse than anything. And so, you know... I guess if I grew a beard, it'd probably be heavy on this side, <laughs> you know. It wouldn't be as heavy on this side. I don't know. But I finally, every now and then, I look in the mirror, and it's got this eyebrow hair that's like three times longer than the rest, you know, or one coming out of this ear or something. I don't understand it. But our, ear, our mirrors show our imperfections, don't they? They do it all the time. That's what the mirror is supposed to do. It reflects who we are. Yet we don't need to forget just how wretched we really are. And the writer here says, it, James says, it's like looking in a mirror and then walking off and forgetting what you look like. We don't need to forget what kind of person we're supposed to be as a Christian. Uh, we don't need to forget how rich we are. We don't need to go to our job interview with shaving cream all over our face. Wild hairs, you know, and all that kind of stuff. First Samuel 15 says, when, when, Samuel, uh, when uh, Saul was instructed by God to go and destroy, completely destroy the Amalekites. I mean, God says, kill all of them. I know this is terrible, but he says, kill women, children, goats, sheep, everything. Get rid of the Amalekites totally. Saul goes and fights the Amalekites, and he does kill many of those. But he saves the king, and he saves some of the best sheep and goats and that kind of stuff. And when, when Samuel gets there, he says, well, have you obeyed the voice of the Lord? He says, I've totally obeyed the Lord. And Samuel says, well, why do I hear this bleeding of the sheep in my ear? See, total obedience, I mean partial obedience, is total disobedience. Saul, Saul couldn't understand that. Saul thought he was okay, and I think sometimes we do the same thing. We read God's word, and yet we partially obey. We say it's good enough. Uh, and then Samuel tells him, does the Lord have his 
And Saul said, I kept, these, I kept some of these sheep and goats for sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel says, does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as he does in obedience? God wants us to obey, not to wait and try to make up for it later. So what about us? What does it mean for us? Teenager, what does this mean for you? Do you honor your parents? Well, the Bible says that's the, only, that's the only commandment with promise. Honor your mother and father that your days may be prolonged on the earth. Do you honor your mother and father even when they're not honorable? Well, sometimes they won't be. Even when they're sitting there with a cigarette in their hand and telling you not to smoke? Even when it's not honorable, do you honor them anyway? Ma'am, lady, you submit to your husband as unto the Lord? Even when he's not submittable? He's not worth submitting to? See, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It just tells us to do it. Dad, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Do you set the example for your children how a mother should be treated? Are you the spiritual leader of your home? Do you get up and take everybody to church? Or does mom have to do that? Do you lead the Bible study or does mom have to do that? Or the prayer time? See, it hits us all, doesn't it? Verse 25. Notice that part in our focal passage. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Matthew seven twenty four, Jesus on his Sermon on the Mount says, He who hears these words of mine and does them. He doesn't stop with just he who, he who hears. He says, He who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house on the rock. Let us not become pharisaical and fantastical and forgetful of what we're supposed to do. Let's become children who are always obedient. Because God loves, he loves obedience way more than sacrifice. Let's pray together.